Now you're on. There it goes. Thank you for doing that. Did you figure out what the deal is? She was, okay. Okay, folks, thanks for uh, here. I ask you to give me your attention, and then I didn't give you my attention. We are uh, coming again to a wonderful subject. Just to put things real quickly in perspective, we've studied several particulars about the doctrine of the Word, several particulars about the doctrine of God. We're now on the doctrine of creation. He calls it creatures. Last week we considered angels, which would include Satan and the demons, which are fallen angels. But now we come to the pinnacle of God's creation. We come this morning to that which represents uh, what is most like God. All of creation, by the way, it's nice to have John Ross with us. And uh, Maida, glad to have you back from the Philippines. You look happy and refreshed. <laughs> I'm just saying that when we come to the subject of the image of God being in us and upon us, when we come to the subject of us being created in the image of God, we have to immediately see and appreciate that this is the highest level of creation. This is that aspect of creation that most reflects God. Now, all of creation reflects the glory of God. But we have been created in such a way as to reflect, in some sense, the nature of God, what God himself is actually like. I mean, you could conclude from creation that God is powerful, that God is wise, even that God is good. But there's a lot more about God that is made manifest in us. So just know that you are the highest order of God's creation. Higher even than angels, the Bible says. They were made lower than men. So that's a glorious subject. And as we contemplate it this morning, I have a really simple outline. Here are the questions. I don't expect you to write these down, but I'm just giving you the big view. Um, what, what is image-bearing and likeness to God? What happened to our image-bearing and likeness to God? Number three, what has God done about our deformed and marred imaging of himself? When will our ability to perfectly reflect God be restored? And finally, what are some of the implications of our being the image of God? So those are the five questions that I want to answer. We'll spend more time on a few of them because of their significance. So first of all, isn't it natural to raise the question, what does it mean to be an image bearer of God? What is that all about? So I'm going to try to answer that from Scripture, and I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1. You won't be surprised that we would start with Genesis. 
nor would we be surprised that we'd start with chapter 1. You might be surprised that it takes until we get to verse 26, but remember, even there, on the sixth day of creation, God created that which was designed to reflect Him. So, we're not disappointed that we're the, we're the last. We should be greatly encouraged that we were the last. But please notice verse 26 and verse 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And then immediately says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and so forth. Now notice verse 27, sort of a summary verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Would you also just quickly turn to chapter 5 and notice verses 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. You notice it doesn't say in this verse, he created him after his image. I'm going to make a point of that in just a moment. Here it simply says, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named, now get this, he named them, not Adam, Adam and Eve. He named them man. And maybe you wonder why I'm emphasizing that. For a simple reason, and that is that the word man was first used by God generically, speaking of mankind. And don't we say that? We say, we sometimes speak of man. If only man was as frugal as animals are, or something. We mean, we don't mean males only, we mean mankind. So in our day, there's so much sensitivity about gender, and there's perhaps some places where as Christians, we would too want to be careful and cautious but God wasn't embarrassed to call women a part of man, mankind. So he, he's not gender um, paranoid about this. He calls man and woman man. But the point that I really want to get at is that he, is, um, he, is cre- he has created us in his image and likeness. Now let me say a word about that. Theologians have made a big deal out of the two words, image and likeness, image and likeness. So what does image mean? Likeness must mean something else. And there are lots of theories and different people in the history of the church have championed those ideas. And they may be, they may be right, but the Bible doesn't tell us what God meant by using those two words it, it, would, it would appear that image and likeness are the same thing. They're being used synonymously. That's what 
uh, Allison says, that's what Grudem says, that's what Burkhoff says, that's what most theologians say. There are two ways of saying the same thing, which the Bible is filled with. This is an early, maybe an early example of what's called Hebrew parallelism. Often in the Proverbs you'll read the same truth said two different ways. That's parallelism. So perhaps there's some parallelism going on here. But what proves it is that when you read on in Genesis, you find that even God himself sometimes only uses the word he made man in his image. Oh, you forgot about the likeness part. Now, that's not important. And even if you noticed in chapter 5, in verse 3, it says when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. So even, even God describes human beings just in terms of after his image, not after his image and likeness. God, you forgot the likeness part. He doesn't need to. Sometimes he just speaks of likeness, and sometimes he just speaks of um, image. So there are really two ways of describing something about us that makes us unique from all the rest of creation. We bear the image of God. Now, what, what does that really mean? Well, before I answer that, I just want to make this observation. We do not merely bear the image of God. I'm reading this because I want to say this carefully. We don't merely bear the image of God. We are the image of God. He says so. And I'll read this for you if you want to make note of it. It'll save time. I'm simply reading 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 7. This is what it says. 11.7 For man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. He doesn't just have it. He is. So if we could have asked God at the dawn of creation, shortly after creation, man, um, is there anything that actually is your image? He would say, man is my image. I've made him in my image, so he is. So you are not just someone who bears the image of God. This raises the level of our human dignity even higher. You are a reflection of God in a way that animals cannot be or anything else in creation. They can only reflect you know, the glory of God. But as far as the character and the person of God, only human beings are made in his image. So if you're down and you're depressed this morning for whatever reasons, take a little encouragement in this. You bear the image of God. You are an image bearer. And you are the image of God himself. What kind of dignity is that? The world cares about dignity, but doesn't know where it is. Our dignity is first in who we are by virtue of creation and who we have become by virtue of salvation, the, the sons and daughters of God, died for by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So we're we're the image we are the image of God, but we and I've jumped over something, we're the redeemed image of God. We're the rescued image of God. We're the recovering image of God. So when you really get down on yourself, I mean way, way down, go back to the doctrine of creation and think about who you actually are. Yeah, Dave? I think in today's uh, culture it's important to say uh, we are the image of God irrespective of gender, of race, of intellectual abilities, athletic abilities, of physical abilities. Yeah. Uh, there is nothing that uh, would prohibit someone, a human being, from not being in an image of God. Yeah. That's a good comment, Dave, and we need to be conscious of that, and we need to see all people as image bearers of God. Age as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. As you look look at me and make eye contact, I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, That's an excellent remark, and I think it's something we have to remember, and it sort of comes in my implications at the very end, because we, we must be careful how we look upon people. I don't care if it's the most profligate, depraved, hell-deserving sinner on death row. When you look at that man, probably not a woman, but possibly a woman, you are still looking at the image of God. The image of God cannot be erased. Yeah, Donna? The book, um, The Gospel Comes with the Housekeeper by Rosaria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had never really... I don't think I've really thought much about the image of God that way, but throughout her book, all the time, she's referring to the people that she meets, that she's witnessing to. She's constantly saying you're in the image of God. That's that's and so good. Through the whole book, I was going to go through and kind of count the number of times, but I had never, it was such a good lesson for me to have, because uh. I think I can be really particular about who I want to talk to. That's that's really good. Thanks for reminding me. I hope all you ladies remember that as you studied, many of you studied that book together. So the essence, still maybe I should say something, what does it really actually mean to be made in the image of God and in the likeness of God? And I just put this down in my notes. It means that we, we are like God and represent him. That's what an image is. An image is something that is similar to, but not identical with, the thing it represents. Something that represents something else. That's what an image is. And that's what an image bearer is. We represent God. Certain things in God. So when you think of what the essence of it is, that's what you need to appreciate. So what are the things that are like God? Which, by the way, just to distinguish between an image and what it reflects, remember, this definition said it's similar but not identical to the thing it represents. In some ways we are similar to God, but we're certainly not identical with God. Far from it. And even after we're fully redeemed and have no sin and the image is totally restored, 
we will still only be like God, we'll never be God. We are something similar to, but not identical to what we represent. But what we represent is something so absolutely amazing. It's someone who's so absolutely amazing, namely God himself. So you can see why the um, this destroying of the image or the cursing of the image of God has to be very, 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 very wicked. The prohibition to murder is based on what? You find it in Genesis 1, verse 27. I think, if I'm right. I hope I'm right about that. Someone read verse 27. Second Yes. Okay, that, that's just a reinforcement. You can read that, though. Actually, I'm actually looking for another verse, but... 9-6. 9, 6 is what I was looking for. So, you want to pull up 9-6, Bobby? Yeah. Did you have it? Whoever sheds man's blood by man his, by man his blood shall be shed, for, the, for in the image of God he made man. Okay, you can stop there. If you kill somebody, you've just murdered an image bearer. So God says don't kill, and if you do, you'd, you should die for killing. Yes, God is the author of capital punishment for some crimes. Life is so sacred that it should be taken by the one who doesn't honor the sacredness of it by killing someone. That's how sacred life is. But see, what is it rooted in? It's rooted in that man is made in the image of God. And that's everybody. That's why I just said, the, the, the vilest sinner on the face of the earth who doesn't know God and doesn't trust Jesus and deserves to be executed for his crimes still bears the image of God. But the same thing is true with regard to cursing. We're not to curse God. And that's found in James chapter 3. Maybe we could just quickly read that. You see, these are implications. You know, in one sense, we've jumped to the implications of the doctrine of being image bearers. But what is it, 3.6 or 3.9? I think it's 3.9 as well. What is it? Nine. It's 9. It would help if I got out of Ephesians 3 and went to James, though, wouldn't it? Okay. Carla, would you read 9, please? With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And what is the it? The tongue, right? It's the tongue. So he's saying, here's a good reason not to curse people. They're image bearers of God. Don't just think it's wrong to kill someone because they're image bearers. How you talk about someone should be governed by your awareness that this person is an image bearer. We can't just be cursing people. You're cursing one of God's creation, not just one of his creatures, but a creature that is his image and bears his image. 
So that's just a little bit about what it, what is image bearing about. Now I, I didn't go into there's there's lots of division and and uh, different ways of trying to look at in what ways do we actually uh, image God, and the answers are starting with this first of all in terms of our original righteousness, and you say what's that? I'm talking about the what Adam and Eve were like before they fell. Being created in the image of God, they were righteous. And they had true knowledge and true holiness. Now, I do think we need to look at this. So let's go to Colossians 3.10. And then we're going to look at, these are two pivotal texts that we must, we must appreciate today for our study. Um, I'll go back to verse 9. Colossians 3.9. Do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self. If you're truly a Christian, you have put off the old self with its practices. So I just want to pause there and ask all of you, have you put off the old self or are you still governed by the old self? Everybody has an, an old self, but not everybody has a new self. <laughs> He's talking to people who had a new self. And he's reminding them that they have put off the old self. And I'm asking you, do you have a new self? Have you put off the old self? Are you at least trying to put off the old self? And then he goes on to say, which is being renewed. Now that's a precious word. And that's a precious phrase. It's something that is presently happening in an ongoing way. The new self is being renewed. Is it completely renewed yet? No. Is it completely dead like it used to be? No. Is it as marred as it was before you got saved? Okay, you get it. It's a process. It's a process that began at our conversion, at our new birth, at our regeneration. It's being renewed. Now notice, here's, here's why I'm, now I'm finally getting to my point. In what sense were Adam and Eve bearing the image of God before they fell? In their knowledge of him, they had a true knowledge. By that I mean saving. I'm not talking about their intellect fully comprehended God. I'm saying they had... They knew God. They knew God. He knew them. They were created in His image to know Him. It was part of their creation. So part of being an image bearer is knowing God. And so when your image is restored through conversion, you start to know God for the first time, to truly know Him. But you'll never know Him the way Adam and Eve knew Him before the fall until... You die, or Jesus comes back. So their image bearing involved a knowledge of God. We're going to come back to this, because I want to talk about us being involved with God's process before this class is over. So just please go over, if you will, then to Ephesians 4. Go back to Ephesians 4, 24. 
And notice again, this is a, just a pivotal statement. 424. Dave, would you read that out loud for us, please? And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay. Again, I want to come back to this verse in, in a, just a few minutes when it comes to um, how we should be engaged in, uh, in this great work of God of renewing His own image in us. But what I, what I really want you to appreciate, I'm having trouble today going to the right book. I'm coming to the right chapter and the right verse. Um, notice once more, and put on the new self, created after the likeness. Notice it doesn't say created after the image. I'm just, want, I'm just reinforcing, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, that to be created in God's image is the same as being created in His likeness. To be created in His likeness is the same as being created in His image. Image and likeness are the same thing. So he says, put on the new self, created in the likeness of God. Now here we come to the point again. In true righteousness and holiness. Adam and Eve, before they fell, bore the image of God in first of all knowing Him and in, sec in secondly in being truly righteous and holy. That's what we lost in the fall. Now we could go on and on and we could talk about all kinds of other things that are a part of being image bearing. For example, we are... Um, we have, first of all, we have spirituality. We're spiritual beings because God breathed His Spirit in us. We are spiritual beings. That's why every, every civilization, every people group in the world has a religion. Did you know there's no such thing as, a, in, well, as you well know, atheism is a religion. It's the worship of, God. It's the worship of man. You, men have to be religious. They're created with the knowledge of God. So... Every society has religion and knows that God exists. And this knowledge of God included also true righteousness and true holiness. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means to, be, to know God, to be righteous, and to be holy. So if we're image bearers of God, that's one of the first things we should think about. Do you really know God? I'm, this isn't the same as do you know about God. Could you write a paragraph about God? Of course you can write a paragraph about God. The question is, do you know God? And that the word know is such a rich word in the Bible. It usually, it rarely means that you're cognizant of something. Yes, I know that it's cloudy today. Know almost always means an intimacy. And so Adam knew his wife and she conceived. God knows those that are His. Does He not know those who are not His? Of course, in terms of mental awareness. But the word knowledge is intimacy. So to be created in the image of God is to know God and to be righteous and to be holy. And by the way, to be recreated in the image of God, that is to be born again, is to 
is to know God and is to begin to be righteous and to be holy. And then from there, it just goes on to all kinds of things, doesn't it? It goes on, what am I doing right now? I am communicating with you in, in a way that no animal, even the most sophisticated animals on earth, animals do communicate with each other. I know that. But they never have a protracted discussion. They never talk about the weather. They never say, do you think your nest is about done? <laughs> and as, uh, I think it was, one of these guys said something very humorous. I, I think it was, um, yeah, here it is. <laughs> this is Grudem. He says, no group of chimpan uh, chimpanzees will ever sit around the table arguing about the doctrine of the Trinity or the relative merits of Calvinism or Arminianism. In fact, even st still, uh, in fact, even in developing physical and technical skills, we are far different from animals. Beavers still build, did you read this this week, Dave? Beavers still build the same kinds of dams they have built for a thousand generations. Birds still build the same kind of nests, and bees still build the same kinds of hives. But we continue to develop greater skill and complexity in technology and agriculture and science and nearly every other field of endeavor. Who would be dumb enough to argue that we're just the same as animals? So it's part of it. So we commu I'm communicating to rational people. You're thinking, you can, you can say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, and we can have a dialogue. And some of you are artistic, and some of you are very mechanical, and some of you are kind of like inventors. And the list goes on and on. We're creative. We're artistic. We're rational. We're communicators. Why, why do we have the gift to communicate? Because we're made in the image of God. Why do we like community? You know, what do we call a person who doesn't like community? We call them antisocial. Something's wrong. I mean, we don't all have to be equally sociable, by the way. That's a word of encouragement, because you might say, I just feel more comfortable not being in a crowd, and when I am in a crowd, I don't want to be engaged. That's fine. That's, that's the way God made you. But if you don't want another human being in your life, something's seriously wrong with you. We were made for companionship. In marriage, we were made for fellowship in the church. Who made us that way? A social God who had eternal communication with himself in the person of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before creation even came about. We are communicating people because God is a communal, communal God. So, I mean, the list goes on and on, and I think we should take advantage of it when we talk to people and, that are not Christians and say, how do you account for that? You no, know, you may be saying, what's that mean? How do you account for that? Um, maybe you are talking to an unbelieving artist and say, your work is just beautiful. I see the image of God in you. And they say, what? You realize, don't you, that you couldn't do that if it, if it weren't for the God who created you? He put that in you. You are like God. You can say that to a non-Christian. We should say that to non-Christian. But then we go further and we help them to understand that something has happened. You're an image bearer is what you're saying to that person. 
because everyone bears God's image. So just use it as a witness. I, we talked about that once, but we, we can keep thinking about that. Um, Van Til, Cornelius Van Til, famous Christian apologist from, well, he taught at Westminster Theological Seminary, and I was so privileged to spend time with him. Um, as an old, old man, highly esteemed, sort of the grandfather of presuppositionalism, which we'll talk about what that means later. Tim is going to give a 20-minute lecture on what presuppositionalism is. And then Pastor Keith is going to finish it off and tell you how to use it when you're debating with a non-Christian. Such a, such a rich time with that man, but he was, he was known for saying many, many, many things. And one thing he said is that uh, you can say to a non-Christian, I know that you're able to count, but you can't account for your ability to count. And what he's really saying is that mathematics doesn't work without God. This is a world of order. All science depends upon order. If something is true and it's tested, it has to be repeatable. If we lived in a chaotic world that came about through an explosion, there wouldn't be these laws and these norms. There's no better explanation than that an intelligent God created it. And in the process, he created people to bear his image. And we are the image bearers. So I've spent probably too much time on that, but let's just rush on here with what happened. Well, we fell. Adam and Eve fell. And the image was marred. It was terribly deformed. But it wasn't eradicated. Human beings still reflect God. In trying, this is what's interesting, in trying to be like God, Adam and Eve actually succeeded in becoming unlike God. That's when they lost a, a, a significant potential for bearing his image. They lost it. And they feel guilt. And they go hide from this God that we're having communion with. And they begin to argue with one another and they begin to shift blame when they have a baby and then they have another baby and the first baby kills the second baby. And it all goes bad because those two precious individuals who knew God and who were righteous and holy fell and we fell in them and we fell because of them because if you go back and back and back, if you start with your mom and dad and you can talk long enough, you'll get to Adam and Eve. And that's where it all happened. And we lost that beautiful form of bearing God's image. We didn't quit being image bearers. But severe damage was done to us because of the fall. So that's all I'm going to say about what happened. I want to quickly turn to what God has done about it. And that's why I wanted us to read those passages in Colossians and Ephesians. So, once more, will you go back to Colossians 3? So, just to review, every one of us in this room this morning was created by God and bear His image and are His image. Every one of us in this room were born fallen sinners with a marred image, okay? 
Every one of us reflects God, but none of us reflect God the way Adam and Eve did before they fell. Or, let me quickly say this, the way Jesus did his whole life. Because he's the model. He's what we're going for. He's what God's going for. He's in the process of conforming us to the image of his son. So we recognize that we were created in the image of God, but it was terribly defaced and marred. And you can imagine, that's again why it's so wrong to curse someone. It's so wrong to murder someone. If I had a picture of my wife and I put it up here and just was proud of her and I thought it was a nice picture of her, and some of you came up here and you just spit on it, and others of you took those little pokey pens, you know, like these things, and others have put them all in there, and others of you put just scribbled them all out and so forth. I would be deeply, deeply troubled for you to treat the image of my wife that way. How should we treat fellow human beings? So, and, and, and when we see in our brothers and sisters the process of restoration of image, so I'm just going to stop there now. I want, I want this class to be um, nuts and bolts-like. I want us to get down to the nitty-gritty. And I want to ask you again. I'm not going to ask you, do you bear the image of God? Because if you've been listening to me, the answer, of course, is yes. I'm asking you, and I'm not at, well, I will ask you this question. Do you think that image has been marred? Have you seen the maredness of the, of the image of God in your soul? If you haven't seen the maredness of it yet, then you'll have no interest in Jesus. But here's, now here's the question. Do you, have you experienced a work of God in your heart, in your soul? It's the work of the Holy Spirit, by the way which has regenerated you, brought you out of deadness to life, made you feel your sinfulness, and made you see your need of a Savior, and enabled you to, to run to Jesus Christ and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, you're only my only hope. You're the only one that can reverse this marred image, but you're the only one who can pay for my sins and make me right with God. If you've done that, you can rest assured that God has begun the process of restoring his image in you. So, but let me press that question. Can you see evidence in your life that God is in the process of restoring his image in you? I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask it again. Can you see evidence in your life that God is presently in the process of renewing his image in you? She said, this is the kind of thing that makes you say, you know what, man, I'm so different than I used to be. I can't believe it. My language is changing. My desires are changing. My interests are changing. i got a long, long way to go, but I'm not like I was just a while back. God is changing me. Now I'm just telling you, yeah, he's making you more like him. He's transforming you into his image. And it won't be a surprise for me to say to you, that won't be done, as I said earlier, until you die or Jesus comes back. And at that second, you will be made sinless. You just If you die first, you're just not going to get your glorified body until Jesus comes back. So you'll be a sinless soul. You will not 
have a glorified body until Jesus comes back. So, But I'm coming to that in just a second. But right now I'm just pressing this. We're image bearers of people. And we, we bear a marred, we have a marred image. But I trust that most of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, are in that wonderful process of seeing our image change. So this is what this passage is about. So once again, Colossians 3.10, this is worth memorizing. But I want to go back. I want to go back to verse 5, okay? So Paul's talking to the Christians in the city of Colossae. Colossae's in Greece, modern Greece. It's very... Um, so anyway, it says, put to death. This is something you and I are to do. This is, a, this is a, what, the, what we call um, an imperative. It's a command. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he names some stuff. I wrote in my Bible yesterday five earthly values. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Put them to death. Well, that's God's work, Paul. Well, right now, I'm talking about what's your work. Yes, you need God. And you will never desire to put to death these things apart from his grace. But once he started that work in you, you get involved, you roll up your sleeves, and you get up in the morning and say, today, I'm going to try not to be earthly with regard to my sexual immorality, my impurity, my passions, my evil desires, and my covetousness. God, help me to be like Jesus. Jesus, help me to be like you. Holy Spirit, work in my heart so that I might be like Jesus. I need to put some stuff to death. And that's going to mean turning my head. And it's going to mean closing my eyes. It's going to mean shutting my mouth. It's going to mean a lot of stuff. It's going to mean I need to be careful who I'm with. I've got to be careful where I go. God, help me. This is what he's telling him to do. Okay? And then he says in verse 6, just in case you don't take this too seriously, on the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too, you dear brothers and sisters in Colossae, you too once walked, once upon a time lived that way when you were living in them, living in them, but now you must this sounds like another imperative. There's something I've got to do. Yeah, there's something you got to do. Now you must put them all away. What? What, Paul? Well, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Put it away. And furthermore, do not lie to one another. Stop that too. Seeing you have seeing you have. Really? Now, would, if Paul was writing this letter personally to you, personally to you, would he say, seeing you have? Yeah. Or would he say, seeing you have not? Seeing you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. 
Okay, enough sort of preaching, but now back to theologizing. Look what comes at the end of verse 10. You have put on the new self, which is being. This is presently happening. This is going on now. This is going to keep going on till you die. God is working in your life now. It's being renewed, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So you see, the implication is we once had this, this knowledge. Yeah, but you see, the renewal of the image is getting it back. So part of image bearing is knowing God and being righteous and holy, and God is in the process of helping you to know him better and helping you to be more and more conformed to his moral image and holiness and righteousness. So that's Colossians. Now, if we, did, we do, did we do 424 already? Only once, didn't we, a while back? Go back to Ephesians 4.24. Okay, Ephesians 4.24. It says, well, we'll start with verse 22 again. Here we go with the put off and the put on. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt, through deceitful desires, hope you know that, and to be renewed, that's what we're talking about, renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on, for every put off, there's a put on, put on the new self, created, see God's the one who starts it, the same God who said let there be light, has to say let there be life, created, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this shows us what it meant for Adam and Eve at first to be made in the image of God. It's true knowledge, it's true righteousness, it's true holiness, and Paul's getting real practical. So, so but would you all agree with me that this subject of bearing God's image is more than just theological? We're talking about what happens this afternoon, how we live this afternoon. This is talking about the devil trying to get us to still be who we once were and the Holy Spirit working to make us who we haven't yet become. And, you're, and you should be aware of it. You say, here we go. Oh, God, that was, where did that come from? Oh, God, I'm sorry. God, the devil is so present. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me right now. Conform me into the image of you. Suddenly, what's theological becomes extremely practical in the moment. And I want you to think about that today. And I, I think at the end of the day, I know I'm into implications, but can't help it. At the end of the day, when we pray, I think one thing we might want to say is, God, I don't think I made much progress today in being conformed to your image, but I made a little thank you for that opportunity this afternoon to see myself and to, and to put off. I, God, I did a little putting off today, but I need to put off so much more and I need to put on so much more. Would you please help me? to be like Jesus. So speaking of Jesus, let's go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. I can tell we're going to do what we always do. (laughs) 
Gee, we could talk about these things forever. I mean, for a long, long time because it's so deep and so rich. Second Corinthians 3.18. Paul is talking and he says, we all with unveiled face, we've, suddenly we've been given the ability to see, beholding the glory of the Lord. For the, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian, you have begun the process of beholding the glory of the Lord. Before you're a Christian, what are you talking about the glory of the Lord? I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the glory of myself. No, you all now are beginning to see the glory of the Lord. Now notice, are being transformed. Does that sound like something that's done? Does it sound like something that's not begun? That's a little more tricky. No. You're being, if you're being, then it had to have a start. Being transformed into the same image. What was the product? What's the what, what precedes that? The antecedent is the Lord, the Lord. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. See the progress? I'm not where I ought to be, but I'm not where I was a month ago. Maybe God is transforming me into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And finally, in this connection, Romans 8, 29, because this is the encouragement. Romans 8, 29, it's time for someone else to read, so... Um, You have it, Dwayne, there, Romans 8, 29. Let me grab it as well. Here we're pulling it right out of context, I understand. Um, but go ahead and read uh, 29. Romans 8, yep, go ahead. For those... Before he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn of Yeah, in order that, that his son might be the firstborn. So, um, do you think God is serious about getting you like Jesus if you're truly a Christian? I mean, do you have any hope that he's probably really going to help you with that, or so you're just on your own? <laughs> it says, for those whom he foreknew, to those whom he set his love upon from all eternity, he is also predestined. That's There's the P word. And people don't hate that word predestined, but, you know, I guess you can get a little pen knife and cut that word out, and then it won't be there. There is predestination. And what it means is predestined means destined pre <laughs> okay okay whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified I know I'm reading verse 30 but that's the end result but when we come to the word predestined in verse 30 it's that it's predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so do you think it's really going to happen does God ever predestine anything that didn't happen no What's he predestined for you to be fully and perfectly conformed to the image of his son? Are you there yet? No. But the big question has it started. We are creating the image of God. We lost it in the fall. It's restored in conversion and it's completed in glorification. Okay? So to say that again, we are created. We got 
image bearing at creation. We lost it in the fall. It's, it begins to be restored in true conversion and it's completed when Jesus comes back. That's, that's what's going to happen to our image bearing. So what are some of the implications in the last two or three minutes? Here are some that I've identified. I wish we could have a lot of time of talking here. I just feel like you all would contribute, but I'm sorry we don't. I'm just going to read some of the things I wrote down. All human beings, we've already observed this, have dignity and significance. Please don't forget that. The doctrine of evolution is a full frontal attack upon God himself because it explains mankind without God. So it's pretty serious because it's a full frontal attack on the image of God. Think what abortion is. Manslaughter is an attack upon the image of God. Cursing our fellow man is an attack not only upon his dignity, but upon God himself. Think what it cost our Savior to restore our marred image of God. Could you write a sentence on what it cost Jesus to restore our image? Could you, um, could you write one word that in a sense would capture it? What word would you use? Separation from the Father. Well, separation from the Father. I can't use one word. Now I'm looking for a one word. Crucifixion. What? Crucifixion. Crucifixion. Atonement. It's hard to do it with one word. That was not really very fair, Ron. Your answer was right. But think what it cost our Savior to do this. He had to die. He had to come under the wrath of God in order to restore our image. How earnestly we ought to invite, or uh, involve, I should say, ourselves in God's gracious process of restoring the image. So when you read these exhortations in Colossians and Ephesians, you should always roll up your sleeve. Say, okay, let's go. I see what God's up to in my life. I need to be a part of this. I need to work at it as if God wasn't doing it. <laughs> but I couldn't do it without Him. So... Folks, I didn't do justice to it, but do you see how significant it is for us to be created in the image of God? You're image bearers. You have dignity. You have significance. We lost it, but what was lost has been found. And God is graciously in the process of restoring that image. And thank God, someday, in the twinkling of an eye, when we see Christ, we will be image bearers without any mars, without any deformity. Ultimately, that's waiting for our bodies because, by the way, though the body in many respects can't be a reflection of God because he's a spirit, God made man. He didn't make a spirit. He made a human being. And even our bodies are going to be glorified throughout all eternity, and through them, we will manifest a restored image. So, we need to pray. Um, Pastor Keith, would you lead us in our closing prayer? Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of not being left, veiled, mm. 
blinded, darkened to the glory of God in the face of Christ. Hmm. Lord, our sins had killed us. We had no hope in this world and we were without God. And you came and rescued us. And for this we're thankful. Not only did you save us of our sins and bring us to your own self, but you've renewed us in the knowledge and understanding of who you are. Yes. That we might be renewed into your likeness. Yes. Made after the image of your Son. Continually, consistently being made into that image by the renewing of our minds and the likeness that we bear to you inward in the way that we love you and love others in your image. Lord, we pray that we might walk in a way that men know what it means to be in the image of yes. God Amen. in a right and good and glorious way. May we speak of your excellencies. May we tell of Christ. May we help those who are perishing see the hope they have in a Savior. Yes. Thank you for this reality. We pray in particular for Caleb Skolton right mm. now. Just Amen. for what he's experiencing and Amen. the struggles he's going through. We pray that you would not only save him, spiritually speaking, yeah. and delivering, but also, Lord, that you would heal his Amen. broken body. Amen. Lord, that you would give him some relief, some help, some encouragement. We ask and pray this in the name of our beautiful Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.